Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for the company of the saints. We're grateful for the love we have for each other. We're grateful for having it in your son. We'd ask that you would uh, bless us as we sit in front of your scriptures. We'd ask that we'd be made able to understand and represent your son far more capably in this world. In your son's name, amen. You'll notice at the top of the sermon notes, Deuteronomy chapter 6, famous passage. Moses is giving the second law, having given it once in Leviticus. This is the reminder after the 40 years of wandering of the law. And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It's really, it's Yahweh our God is one Yahweh. And you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. That, we all know that verse. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Now he turns up to, we know that they, we're going to be looking at the passage in Mark where Christ refers to it in a moment, but even in this passage, the intensity of this law, it's the introductory passage to the law. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, uh, take this really seriously. And you look at those words, heart, soul, might, and then he gives us instruction. You see that echoed again in terms of the heart. It'll be upon your heart. See ya. Um... It shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them. It moves out of this heart into teaching, into talking, when you walk, when you lie down. So it's true down to your center. So much so that when it's taught to others, it's taught to them in every circumstance. Everywhere, every when, morning, noon, and night, top to bottom. And that last bit, frontlets for your eyes, you don't often use the phrase, frontlets for your eyes. You, how do I help you understand? It's buying the t-shirt. Okay? Graham was wearing a Foo Fighters t-shirt, which I only assume he got at the Foo Fighters concert in Portland last week, right? Two weeks ago? That's how we do it in America, right? You buy the shirt. They, you know, very strict, observant Jews and will actually tie, tie little boxes to their foreheads with portions of the law written in, on paper inside the box, and they'll have long things tied to their arm. You're, you tie as, uh, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They literally bind it on their hand, and as frontless before their eyes. 
We kind of don't think God was intending that. But we understand what it is to be, you know, all about something. You guys know Al Geyer, who has the flu. We should have prayed for him. He has the flu, but Al, in this time of his life and in this season of the year, is always wearing what? Seahawks jerseys. Okay? He has a problem. He has a flag in his living room the size of Montana with the number 12 on it. Oh, you know, you know what that means? That means something, right? You fly, you fly the flag of whatever you really like. In front of my house, you guys know this, it's the flag of Scotland because it's better than the rest of you, no matter where you're from. And you know, that's what you do. Some guy down the street who's flying, I think, the Austrian flag. I'm not sure. He's German or Austrian. I'm not sure what he has. It's not as cool as the Scottish flag. But And somebody with a Basque flag. Polk Street's really weird for people making international statements. But why do you do it? You don't just go look at flags and pick the colors. I like those colors. We identify... And this commandment of God says, this identification with this commandment of God is down to your very being, every point of your day, every moment of your speech, your heart, your soul, your might. Now, that's inspirational. You guys like, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and, and they had a Christian flag. I don't know where you got the Christian flag. I don't... I don't know when we established that or when the vote was taken. It was a white field and then a corner thing that was purple with a cross in it. Did you ever see that? And they usually had the American flag and the Christian flag. We like these ideas. We like team loyalties. We like being really into this. And we might say, we might look at this law and say, oh, yeah, our God, Yahweh, Above all. But here's the problem. It's right after this great statement, this broad assignment that we get here in our love for God. Verse 10, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and goodly cities, which you did not build, and houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, and cisterns hewn out, which you did not hew, and vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take heed, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Let me remind you, he says, of a few things. Somebody was quoting the verse the other night at Wine, Wisdom, and Song. What did you receive that was not a gift? Because when all these good things, which God, he led them out of the house of bondage, led them out of Egypt, led them into a land in which they had done nothing to establish the civilization there on the ground. They walked in, what do they call it in business? A turnkey operation. A 
And it wasn't that, oh, that's bad to do. Don't ever get a turnkey operation. You won't appreciate it. Because God wants to give you those things. Wanted to give the Jews that freedom from the Egyptians. Wanted them to have the powers that Canaan used to have. Now they had. Wanted them to have all this stuff. But you also want them to have the warning. Take heed, lest you forget the Lord. Now, there's something wrong then with this commandment. That's the most powerful, I mean, this is, this is a commandment of commandments. This lands on you full force, very clear, every reach of your life, this is what you're supposed to do. And then, since the 1950s in America, life's been pretty good. We are all filthy, stinking rich. All of us. I, we went to see Graham perform at, what's the place called? Patty's, Patty's Kitchen last night. He was opening for Eric Ingebretson and, and uh, Graham's got this looper pedal, which we, most of us understand what that is, I'm sure where he can be a one-man band, where he starts to lay down tracks and click them into this memory in this, and they continues to play it, sounds he makes, rhythms he makes, and he can sing with himself. It was pretty impressive. And we were sitting there in the calm, well, no, it was pretty windy, a Patty's patio area, had a few drinks, and listening to uh, Graham perform, and then Eric Ingebretson perform, and, um, amplified sound and people running around delivering food to us in North Idaho, the edge of empire. And the world is still scurrying around to give us everything we want. And if I wanted to pull out my phone, if my phone did those sorts of things, but it doesn't, and order, I don't know, I could have ordered a pizza, I could have bought a a, a set of encyclopedias, I could, I don't know what, I could have bought stuff, sitting there, listening to my son sing through some modern technology, and I could be ordering the world with my bank and all the money they want me to use on some sort of plastic in here, and I could be combining these things and be, you know, like the, like the Ring of Solomon, I'd be commanding the world to come into existence, and UPS trucks could be driving upside the, the, the outside of Patty's kitchen delivering packages to me that I had ordered from the Far East. <laughs> Take heed then that lest you forget the Lord. None of these things you made. I don't want to sound like Barack Obama in this. When he said, you didn't make that. Oh yeah, he didn't. A, a very energetic capitalist system or industrial revolution or a civilized democracy all brought those to you. But they brought them and we live in them and living in them when we eat and are full take care lest we forget the Lord. So consequently verse 13 you shall fear the Lord your God you shall serve him and swear by his name. 
You shall not go after other gods. It just seems weird, having just gone through this great, almost sublime expression of pursuit of God, heart, soul, might, every avenue access in your life, and a God who gave you just wonderful existence that you sit smoking a cigar, looking out over the Palouse, going, what? What are you thinking about? Your next fan duel fantasy football picks? What are you thinking about? Take care. Because you're supposed to fear God and serve him and swear by his name. This other thing in your life, you, re you recall from the parable of the sower, the seed that falls on thorny ground, you know, receives it with joy, springs up, but when the cares of this world and the delight in riches choke it off, it keeps it from being fruitful. God wants you to be, have a good circumstance, wants you to be healthy, but have you ever noticed you don't pray as much about your health when you're healthy? Do you? Dear Lord, please maintain this sense of good when you got the flu, you're crying out for God's mercy. We pray when we things don't go well. We're supposed to be figuring out a way to fear the Lord your God and not have the almost irresistible effect of God being good to you. Okay? God's been good to you. He knows you're the kind of person, or at least the Jews were the kind of people, who couldn't take goodness very well. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the peoples who are round about you. And that's really what happens. The good life forgets what God has done for you. The good life does not fear anything because your stuff is handled, right? You're, you're, everything's okay. I don't hurt. Now I'm 60, about to be 61. I'm hurting more all of the time, just getting out of a chair. But there are times I was, I think it was real comfortable yesterday. The weather was great, standing out on the porch. Well, you don't feel anything. Everyone knows you don't, you don't feel, you just realize, I'm not in any pain whatsoever. Nothing is bothering me. Good situations, we forget, we don't fear. But good lives, oh my heavens, have you noticed the papacy this week? Heavens to Betsy. I don't know what to think of the Pope. I'm not a big fan. Probably a nice guy. But my heavens, what incredible, shallow, platitudinous gunk has been uttered by every talking head on TV about it all. And every message that was heard, you know, it was it was a religion that accessorizes the good life. It's like getting a new watch to go with your new outfit or shoes. I speak to half the crowd here. Getting new shoes that suit your outfit. 
We accessorize. Life is good. And our religion needs to accessorize to that good life. And really, the gods of the nations round about, they do a lot better job at accessorizing to what you're kind of into. The kind of god you want to be. I mean, if you're into war, you can be into Aries. If you're into love, you could be into Aphrodite. Pick a god. Accessorize it to you. Add the sense of your success. Because when you meet the true God, when you realize the divine, when there is no God but Yahweh, you get that God the way that God is, because that God is above you. And when he tells you to not go after other gods, there are reasons we go after other gods. There are reasons we don't fear him any longer. There are reasons we forget what he has done. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth so there that's the problem with the real God the real God what was the line we covered last uh, I think Mr. Beaver said it at the end of the line of which the wardrobe the last bit was uh, he said he's not a tame lion you don't get to dictate to God what he's like. Well, I don't think that God should ever... You really? You don't think that God should ever? You don't think that God should ever meditate on the prayer? Well, I don't think that really is what a Christian God should be like. Oh, you don't really think that that's what it is? You don't think that... Senator who? You are... Whom are we addressing in this? God is an agent who is not a fellow actor on the stage of this life. The stage of this life was made by this agent. Everything that is, and all meaning it has, is rooted in him. You don't get to write a new role for him that nowadays Jesus had better perform this way. You find the God. You turn to the God. Now, that said... We have a basic problem as Christians. Well, it's not a problem, it's a blessing. And you know this from having heard me preach before. You know that there's an old covenant. This is part of the old covenant. This is, you know, sin shall have no dominion over you, for you are not under law. You're under grace. How do we take what I just said and deal with it as Christians? Well, first we pass it through Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus Christ we find out this is the greatest commandment. The Mark passage, it's also in Matthew, but the Mark passage, 12, 28, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Well, he just told you this was the greatest commandment. Looking back into Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, that's where Christ finds the greatest commandment. The second greatest commandment, I think, is in Leviticus 19, somewhere in there, second half of the verse. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
It's an odd, this one's not an odd pick, the second one's an odd pick, but it makes a lot of sense. But Jesus, reaffirming what the law has said, that this was the greatest thing. This law itself, and the second law itself, is part of the transition to the new covenant way of living life, a new covenant way of having ethics. We don't just get all pharisaical about these rules and tie little boxes of Bible onto our foreheads. Nor do we have all the kids have to come to church every hour of every day so that we can talk to them as they sit in the house and walk on the way and when you lie down and when you rise. We don't have to write things on the doorposts of our house. But the transition is not just in Christ, it's in what Christ has put together. He doesn't go, you know, the other big one is don't steal. It's not a moral. There is a... Uh, thing that you notice in this commandment, you shall love the Lord your God. The second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor. Now, what's other, another interesting point about this quote that Christ gives, he adds to the verse. Okay? Not, maybe you spotted that. In the Old Testament, it was heart, soul, and might. And for Christ, it is heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um... I wasn't there. It does, if you read the Septuagint of Deuteronomy 6, it does include mind in it, not as an extra, but a different way of wording heart. Mind, soul, and strength, I think, is how it is in the Septuagint in Deuteronomy 6. So Christ, given that Greek translation, might have said there's a distinction between heart and mind. I'm going to have them both in there, since there's uh, divergence in, in uh, this scripture. But I don't think anybody objects, right? He says, oh man, what was Jesus thinking? Loving God with one more extra category? Wasn't every axis in my life, every moment in my life sufficient? Reserve my mind? It may have been because that world that Paul, uh, Christ was in was more oriented towards mind. He wanted to make sure that people didn't think that that new area of philosophy thinking was off limits for God. Who knows? Doesn't say. Nobody objected. The scribe who asked him the question agrees with Jesus. So Jesus says, okay, this is the greatest commandment. And the scribe was looking at Jesus saying, I, I, I think he's got good answers. Asked him the question, then says, that was a good answer. He says, the scribe said to him, verse 32, you are right, teacher. Which if you want to know my favorite verse for congregants to memorize, that would be it. If you need, if you need Bible to take home and make one with your life, you say, you are right, teacher. Got it? So it's a simple one to memorize. I don't think it should be a problem. You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other but he. And to love him 
with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength. Now he combines, he hears Christ as saying soul and mind are together. Because he combined, he only has three categories. Heart, understanding, and strength. So it's still hearing it that way. A lot of people think of the soul and the mind as somehow together. But that, don't let that confuse you. But that's, he's re-echoing it. To love him with. To love him with heart, with understanding, with strength. It's not, it's not saying, have a heart, have understanding, have strength. It is saying, love God with heart, understanding, and strength. This has to do with the, the, the way the scribe puts it. There's a sense of integrity. That's what heart is. This week, I had the thrill of having my back porch torn off with a backhoe. It wasn't an accident. And the concrete guys have been building a new back porch for us. In the process, they had exposed the basement stairwell, which had a, a, a concrete wall around it, which was supposed to remain in the engineering until the tip of the backhoe brushed it. And a brush from a backhoe shouldn't do this, but the whole wall just snapped in half and fell over. It lacked, and then the guy from the concrete showed me the nature of the concrete, said probably from the beginning, 100 years ago, this has been bad concrete. It's just been standing there because nothing has bothered it. We, we bothered it today. It didn't have integrity. It looked like a concrete wall, but not at the heart it wasn't. It was like sand at the heart of it. To love him with integrity. What does it say in another place in the New Testament? Let your love be genuine, sincere. Have you ever noticed somebody who can smile at you and it just doesn't reach their eyes? Kind of like me. You know, you know that sense of, he doesn't really like me. Now, does he? He's smiling. We know the difference. We know when heart goes to the center of something. When we, we know integrity. We know loving him with all I am actually. Not what all I am performance was. And with all my understanding. That my way of thinking is always facing God. Now, I've, I've, over the past year or so, I've talked in terms of love and hate as simply put, turning towards something and turning away from something. If you love God, you have turned toward him. If you love your wife, you've turned toward her. Your face shines upon them. And when you hate somebody, you turn away from them. Your understanding, your integrity, your strength, all should have turned to God. So how do I function? That means I don't, when all my understanding has turned towards God in love, I look to God in my understanding. I look to God in my integrity. I look to God for 
how I get along, what is my inertia in life based on, that means I am praying for his power in situations. I want to know what his mind is about. On every level, at every time. You know the Bible, not because we have a Bible lesson plan that makes you read it all, or some system by which you're forced to memorize the books and then some verses, but because you love God with all your understanding. And so a Bible sitting around, any translation will do, you're constantly reaching for in any discussion. That's why we enjoy the Wine, Wisdom, and Song Bible study is because everybody has a Bible and a question, a random question gets thrown out of the surface of the water and everybody has their Bibles and everybody starts looking for answers. It's a great time. It's how our lives ought to be. We are facing God in our understanding. We want to remove what I understood it to be and replace it with how he understands it to be. Now Jesus has a reverse appropriate response to the scribe. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, the scribe saw that Christ answered wisely, Jesus saw the scribe answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. We're trying to move from lawfulness in the Deuteronomy, where someone would pick it up as law and try to live the Christian life by law. We're again that. But we're not, obviously. Our, our, our Christ says this is the best thing said in the law. Take, take a listen to it. My relationship to the morality of God is not based on that God doesn't have a morality is that the law is not the path to that morality. I am not made righteous by the law. Sin shall have no dominion over you, for you're not under law, you're under grace. But the end result is sin shall have no dominion over you. You are not far from the kingdom. Close and approaching. Go in the right direction. What was coming? In the high priestly prayer in John 17, the next little passage there, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee. Since thou hast given him power over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom thou hast given him, and this is eternal life, that they know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. This is eternal life, that they know thee, the only true God. Not only is the scribe approaching and getting close to the kingdom of God, in his analysis that this agreement with Christ, that loving God with everything on every avenue, is the path to the kingdom or is the greatest greatest thing to be about Christ echoes that and says you know that's the that's eternal life itself we're crossing over from mosaic obedience to eternal life gained this law 
This law carries in it an understanding, a new covenant understanding of law, a new covenant understanding of importance, that they know thee, the only true God. Do you? Now, even this commandment you don't approach by commandment. I think God was prophesying in Deuteronomy just how bad commandment-driven obedience is going to be. Because God was going to reward them and then they were going to just wander away. And if we approach God that way, according to the commandment, we will pick up, you might say, some residual looks like, it looks like the commandment. Um, our, you know, we'll have songs that talk about our heart for Jesus and we'll have one hand in the air and we'll be sweeping them back and forth. Um, we will be big on theology because that's our understanding. And we'll be in there social justicing it to death because we're with all the might of the church. We will pretend to love our God. And it will look like we love our God. It will look like we keep the rule by loving our God. And we'll have different stresses in our churches. Some will be more emotional, some will be more intellectual, some will be more social action. But we have to end up knowing God. It's not that they know thee, the only true God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Isn't that enough knowing? In Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 8, the last passage down here. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. And this is the danger. Back in that command, it said to know with all your mind, right? Love with all your mind. We get on that mind, and I love knowing stuff. I love it. I love my books. I love my chairs. I love the room in which I keep them in. I love talking to my friends about stuff that we know. Trying to figure out stuff we don't know. I love knowing stuff. It's like drugs. But we know that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So when he tells you to love him with all your mind, he didn't say intellectually, um, intellectually build him a systematic theology and it's complete. But if one loves God, it says here, if one imagines that he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know, but if one loves God, one is known by him. Remember it said in the previous passage, this is eternal life that they know. And it says, if one loves God, one is known by him. Facing God with everything we are, facing God is ultimately the highest, the highest creative good God has with, his cre with that which he has made. And he represented it in the law in Deuteronomy 6 with a law. In which he said, love the Lord your God. And that throughout 
came back and is spoken of in the New Testament. If one loves God, one is known by him. Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that he quotes Deuteronomy 6. There is no God but one. So Paul says the information in that law is right there and it's still true. It's still true. But what we did not think of First off, we didn't think of love. We thought of activity. All law tends to be activity-driven. Okay, you're the average Pharisee. Okay, what do I got to do now? I've talked to Christians who don't want to understand what's going on, just want me to tell them what they got to do. Because they want to do something. Because doing something makes me better. If I did the right thing, I can just go tell mom and dad or God or whomever we tell that I did the right thing. It is saying how I do this in this law. You love the Lord your God with all your heart. If you love him, you know him. And knowing him is eternal life. The problem is, we skim out the doable, what we think are the doable parts of this commandment, or this imperative. It appears as a commandment, we're not under the law, but we're under the imperative of God that his creation serve him, those who love him serve him. But we still are tempted to change it into laws all the time, and so we look to the part of this commandment that I can go do. Like I described, you can have a church service, it all seems like it's all heart. You can have a church service that is all intellectual and, and rational and, and uh, theologically driven. You can have a church service that is about inspiring people to go out and do things in their community for Jesus. Whether it's evangelism or it's social action. I don't care. But that's where the law comes in. That's where we are able to go do things. So we miss that. He was saying, love him with all of this. Be facing him with all of this. Lawful obedience is often facing ourselves or, or facing the witnesses that stand around to make sure that we're representing ourselves as law-abiding, good Christian citizens. But there are a couple other words. The knowledge and the might are the most practical, they're the provable parts of law abiding in this command, right? I showed you my knowledge. I showed you my deeds, my strength, my might, my activity. I can't really show you something else. Heart. And the other one is all. Because we skim over that one. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your might. With all of it. Love all and the one thing that is the undoable or the thing that needs to be examined in you is whether it's heart. Whether there's integrity to what you're claiming.
Because really it comes with the gospel of Jesus Christ comes back to that basic problem. You've got two issues that are addressed by all and heart and love. That's three issues. Two issues addressed in you. One is your heart was rotten. Guilty in sin needs to be forgiven. You can't have a heart towards God without the atonement of Jesus Christ and you calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. Without conversion, God help you. There's no obeying this commandment in the Old Covenant. There's no obeying it in the New unless your heart is open for business. And it isn't until you get right with God. You have to confess your sins. The second, which touches on the all, is how much we are refraining from granting him all. The passage said back in Deuteronomy, um, for the Lord your God is in the midst of you as a jealous God. Try it with some other affection. I don't know. If I tell the old lady, we're out at the mall, you know, walking down the mall, holding hands, but we're in love. She knows she's loved. She looks down, she sees my other hand is holding some college girl's hand that I picked up somewhere around Old Navy. And she goes, what's the deal? She said, well, it's only part of the time. It's really kind of my, you know, I need some downtime from this relationship, a little bit. And I figured that someone who was 18, just some of the time, she has a right to be jealous, does she not? Why is that? Because I am her husband. We are God's people. He is a jealous God. You don't get to not do all. I mean, what if you had vows like that at the wedding ceremony? Most of the time, I will uphold you. Most of the time, I will be faithful to you. The little alarm bells, antenna going off, fathers standing up in their seats. We don't make those sorts of deals that need to be all. They need to be all with your spouse. Not all with... We know that. We know how it functions. But when the command comes to us that our heart, which needs to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, needs to be open. For this to be a new covenant transition, you've got to have a heart available. What's that great line in, in C.S. Lewis, Until We Have Faces, on which the name of the book is built? How can we speak to the gods face to face? Until we have faces. How can we have heart for God until we have heart available? And heart available the regeneration of Jesus Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit, puts love in you. That love that is missing, the performance orientation you can have. I'm going to be teaching all the kids about all their Bible knowledge. You're going to be loving because Christ has brought love into your life. Now, really it comes down to this is a God that we're wanting to be facing. He has expressed himself back in the Old Covenant that that facing has really got to be love, really got to be all. 
and really got to be everywhere. And we know in Christ that he, he lifted that commandment up and that he provided a path to that commandment. The Jews did not have a path to that commandment. There's just no way they could do this. If they could have, salvation would have been through the law. But he held this up there. They couldn't do it. And in his death and resurrection, we were given the path to it. But don't diminish the end goal that he expects when you take the path. If you're taking the new covenant path, don't go, hey, and there's a really kind of a, there's a, a curve that we set up, and there's a, um, we lower the standard. No, the standard is love the Lord your God with everything you are. So it comes down to the rotten, guilty heart that needs to confess and forsake, needs to repent, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. There's just the decision between you and God. How much did you reserve? If you do not renounce all that you have, you cannot be his disciple. You know Jesus says some unpleasant things about how much you have to give for him. Count the cost. But this is all about a thing called decisions. Corresponding with a guy online about this sort of question. And I'm going to have to write him back here in a day or so and say, Hey, man, this is about decisions. Don't be talking to me about, Oh, I just can't do that much. You know, you made a decision. You decided you weren't going to do this much. You weren't going to be this. You were not going to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. You wanted to bow the knee somewhat to Jesus Christ. He wanted half the time. He still wanted him. He still wanted to be God in his life. Most of the time. But you kind of need, even you talk to you know, atheists, they kind of want to be spiritual sometimes. They really want to have something like that because they'll go insane without it. And we're always just adding enough, this accessorizing God, this kind of low-level, acceptable Jesus that's just enough to not really bug us. Make a decision. You either serve God, what is that line in Joshua? Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Help those that believe in your son, who have been set free from sin by your son. Make the decisions about what they face. In your son's name we pray. Amen.